The more they spend, the better it is for us, and uh, go Donald. Works out nicely for you, CBS, doesn't it? From Pacifica Radios, KPFK, in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 93 FM WLRI. Out in Hawaii, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on iTunes, streaming on Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says some of you. Here with another action-packed adventure, a thrilling action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Thank you for joining us, for giving up a portion of your day or your night to cozy on up to the radio hearth with us. Us, We're glad to have you here. Uh, coming up, this... Um, oh, man. So the madness uh, now beginning to show through in the Republican Party. Uh, now it looks exactly... Like what we have been telling you on this program for months, the Republican Party is now realizing that. And that is that there is little to stop Donald Trump at this point from becoming the Republican nominee for president of the United States in 2016. So Republicans are beginning to freak out a little bit justifiably, understandably, uh, although they could have started freaking out years ago and they wouldn't be in this soup right now. So uh, coming up uh, a little bit later in the show, uh, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, Who is to blame for it? Who is loving it? Loving it. And it's not necessarily who you think is loving it. Who is concerned about it? And it's also not necessarily who you think. And by the way, who should be concerned about it? Uh, and much more. That's ahead. Uh, but what a week. Wow, what a week. The last week has been extraordinary. Uh, and, and we will have more on the specifics of the agreement coming out of the U.N. Climate Conference COP21 in Paris soon. That's been going on while everything else has been going on over the past, I should say, two weeks at this point. Two weeks of that conference, which began right after the Paris Uh, terror attacks they have been ongoing uh, during the San Bernardino terror attacks and during the Colorado Springs terror attacks 
And uh, during Donald Trump's call to ban all Muslims from coming into this country and everything else. Uh, underneath all of that, there's this huge climate conference going on trying to save the world to keep a whole bunch of nations right now, uh, you know, soon these low-lying uh, island nations from disappearing entirely, the millions if not billions of people who live on coastal areas from having to completely move uh, and rethink their lives, uh, and uh, the rest of the world now facing uh, droughts, storms, uh, increased warming, increased cold. I mean, just a mess. And we have 195 countries who are gathering in Paris over the past two weeks to try to do something about it, which is actually pretty cool because it looks like, well, the agreement. We will be talking about the agreement in Paris. Uh, oh, and we'll be speaking with uh, Dr. Michael Mann, by the way. Michael E. Mann. No, not the guy, not the director of the Transformers movie, but uh, the guy who uh, came up with It's the... not the Transformers movie. What? You're thinking Isn't that of. Mann? Uh, no, you're thinking of uh, Red Dragon and uh, the original Miami Vice Miami guy. Miami Vice? Yeah, you're thinking of the Transformers guy as Michael Bay. Oh, Michael Bay. Right. Okay. We're not talking Michael Bay. We're so talking Michael, Michael Mann, Michael E. Mann, the not, climate scientist from Penn State University, not the award-winning director. <laughs> not Michael Mann of Miami Vice. Uh, okay, so we're, we're talking to the climate scientist uh, soon, and uh, he is the one, Michael Mann, the one who came up with the famous hockey stick, stick graph that we saw in, well, I didn't see it. I never saw it in Convenient Truth. I don't think you did either, Desi. Dory, no, actually, the, I didn't. It's the famous hockey stick graph. So we'll be talking with Michael Mann about uh, what's going on in Paris and so much more because I've actually got a bunch of dumb science questions that I want to ask Michael Mann. It, by the way, if you have any, let me know. Drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com if you have any uh, dumb or not so dumb Science questions, uh, climate change, global warming uh, questions for uh, Dr. Michael Mann, not the movie director. Let me know. Um, maybe we'll ask him uh, coming up. So uh, it, that voice you heard, of course, was Desi Doyen. Yes. Hi, Desi. She Hi. is our producer here and uh, my co-host on the Green News Report. Uh, you actually had a great tweet that I want to note uh, the other day. Well, one of the big changes that we're seeing coming out of Paris is this initial target was a two centig uh, centigrade uh, limit, a two degrees centigrade, two degrees Celsius limit on how much warmer we would allow the Earth to get. Because that's the number that scientists say is... Above pre-industrial times. And yes, right. that is uh, essentially the number that scientists have hit upon to say, look, at two degrees Celsius, we believe that is the point at which these impacts become catastrophic and irreversible. That's why the inclusion of 1.5 degrees Celsius just in the text at all mm -hmm. as an aspirational goal mm -hmm. is very important because science indicates that at 1.5 degrees Celsius, it'll be much easier and cheaper and less catastrophic <laughs> than the two degrees target. Right. And that's what you were noting uh, in, in your in your tweet. But since you brought this up already, the uh, the fact that uh, so two degrees was the target and is the target in the official agreement. But they are now noting that uh, though we should try, we, we must limit it no higher than two degrees. Uh it would be good. Right. 
if we've got no higher than 1.5 degrees. Right. Uh, so that's a big, huge thing actually coming out of Paris. And that just happened really in the last two weeks going into the thing. Everyone thought, well, we'll be lucky if we keep it to two. Right. Uh, if we can all agree to that. Well, now they're talking 1.5. That's really cool coming out of the agreement. You noted, this is what I wanted to mention, uh, on Twitter, and you can follow Desi Doyen on Twitter, and you can harass her for a change <laughs> instead of me. Yes, please. Uh, she is Green News Report over on Twitter. Um, you you wrote, uh, think, about the difference be think about the difference between 2 degrees centigrade and 1.5 degree centigrade target as how big do you want the future refugee crisis to be? Yes, because what we're talking about with 1.5 degrees Celsius, we mm -hmm. know that, uh, that that's still going to have a considerable amount of sea level rise. About 100 million people live within one meter of How sea many? level. 100 million. 100 million live 100 within million. one. 100 million. 100 million live within one meter of sea level so that's rise. three feet. Right, within three feet. So right now with a 1.5 degree Celsius uh, temperature target, that means that there is a possibility that those 100 million people today won't have to move. So when uh, so when you tweet about this and the fact that uh, you say the difference is how big do you want the future refugee crisis to be with everyone, not everyone, with uh, the Republicans and some Democrats freaking out about a relatively small number of refugees comparatively uh, coming out of Syria and other places in the Middle East where ISIS is uh, uh, running roughshod. If they're freaking out about that, just wait. Just wait to see what happens. Uh, if we don't do something about global warming and for the people who don't understand the size of the crisis or the potential crisis, most scientists now seem to regard this as a climate crisis that we are in. Am I, oh, yeah. am I right there? Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. So Paul Krugman, writing about this on Sunday, wrote a future historians will almost surely say that the most important thing happening in the world during December 2015 was the climate talks in Paris. True. Nothing agreed to in Paris will be enough by itself to solve the problem of global warming, but the talks could mark a turning point, the beginning of the kind of international action needed to avert catastrophe. Then again, they might not. We may be doomed. And if we are, you know who will be responsible. The Republican Party. Now, this is Paul Krugman writing in the New York Times. He's an economist. He's an economist, but this is where they normally don't say, you know, call out one party or another. He calls them out. He says, OK, I know the reaction of many readers. How partisan, how over the top. But what I said is, in fact, the obvious truth, says uh, Krugman. And the inability of our news media, our pundits and our political establishment in general to face up to that truth is an important contributing factor to the danger that we face. And he's absolutely right. There is nothing untrue about what he said. As a matter of fact, Republican, uh, the Republican Party will tell you they are proudly, proudly working to block any action on uh, climate change, on global warming, to stop the climate crisis. They want to do nothing about it. As a matter of fact, they want to do things that will make it worse. Drill more. Burn more fossil fuels. That's what they want. Uh, and uh, pretty much the entirety of the congressional uh, Republican Congressional Caucus is now are now climate change deniers, period. 
Now, Krugman goes on to say it's true that conservative parties across the West tend to be less favorable to climate action than parties to their left. But in most countries, actually, he notes everywhere except America and Australia, these parties nonetheless support measures to limit emissions. So even the conservatives, so-called conservative parties in other countries, while they're less favorable, they want to take less action than those to their left, at least they're willing to do something. Here, in this country, not so much. Krugman says Republicans are unique in, uh, in refusing to accept that there is even a problem. Unfortunately, given the importance of the United States, the extremism of one party in one country has an enormous global uh, has enormous global implications. By rights, then, the 2016 election should should be seen as a referendum on that extremism. But it probably won't be reported this way, which brings me to what you might call the problem of climate denial. Denial. He says, most important is the denial inherent in the conventions of political journalism, which say that you must always portray the parties as symmetric, that any report on extreme positions taken by one side must be framed in a way that makes it sound as if, well, both sides do it. Krugman says, we saw this on budget issues where some self-proclaimed centrist commentators in the media, while criticizing Republicans for their absolute refusal to consider tax hikes, also made a point of criticizing President Obama for opposing spending cuts that he actually supported. But they can't point that out because then you don't have your both sides do it moment. Krugman says, I'd urge everyone outside the climate denial bubble to frankly acknowledge the awesome, terrifying reality. We are looking at a party that has turned its back on science at a time when doing so puts the very future of civilization at risk. That's the truth. And it needs to be faced head on, says Paul Krugman. And yes, it does, particularly since uh, the... The uh, the real question now moving forward from the Paris Agreement is how much developing countries, I should say developed countries like the U.S., will pay to the developing countries to help them mitigate climate catastrophe, to help those developing countries leapfrog the fossil fuel phase of their economic development so they can go straight to renewables. So that question remains coming out of Paris. And uh, while we discussed uh, on, uh, on our previous program the U.S. committing now to double its financial uh, commitments in that regard to these developing countries to help, to help them both mitigate catastrophe and to uh, leapfrog the fossil fuel phase, the question still remains as to where that money will come from that we have now committed to doubling. And by the way, it ain't that much. I think it was $100 million a year is what we've now doubled it to. Uh, no, we've actually, to? for the United States has uh, has doubled it to $800 million is I'm how sorry, much the United, yeah. United States is going to commit. Which is, uh, frankly, chump change compared right. to what we spend for you know more important things like bombing and killing people. So, um, but the question is, even the amount that we have pledged now, which has now been doubled, uh, will we be able to shake it loose from Congress or do we have to figure out some other way to get to it? Uh, and so it is important. It is important not only that the uh, Republican caucus is completely denialist, 
but that the corporate media has a very difficult time calling them out as such, that they're sort of stuck in this mode of, oh, they both do it. Both sides do it. Um, this is key. This is key. This is important. Uh, and uh, frankly, the media need to be called out for their failure in that regard. And uh, how that now uh, plays out, I'll give you a couple of examples. For example, Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush, when the Paris conference started, uh, you, you'll recall Desi, uh, Barack Obama, President Obama, flew out there with all of the, almost all of that. I think it was the largest gathering of world leaders it in was. world history. Yes. 150 or more world leaders, including Barack Obama. Well, at that time, they asked Jeb Bush about it. He's running to be the next president of the United States. He said, uh, well, he's a quote, he's not sure. He said, I'm not sure I would have gone to the climate summit if I was president today. I worry about the economic impact for our country. I worry that uh, put aside intentions that this these proposals could have an impact on the here and now on people that are really struggling right now. So I'd be uncertain whether I'd attend a meeting like that where it seems like the movement is towards policies that would hurt our economy. Now, we can not going to get into the details for the moment about how it would hurt our economy if the climate crisis continues the way the scientists have predicted that it will. That will definitely hurt the economy. Yep. How big an immigration crisis do you want? As you uh, as you noted on Twitter. So uh, but the fact that here he is and remember for years they've been uh, and, and the media have been allowing them to get away with this. Oh, Obama isn't leading. He's leading from behind. Well, now he leads. He goes out to Paris. He leads the largest gathering of of world leaders ever. And uh, the Republican uh, candidates are, eh, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. I don't know if I'd go there. I, I might just stay home entirely. That's just, uh, of course, you know. Jeb Bush, uh, and and he's probably the most progressive on the issue amongst uh, all of these candidates in the race. Ted Cruz held a, uh, a science committee hearing. He chairs the uh, science committee where he had nothing but uh, climate change deniers testify, including Rush Limbaugh's guest host. Um, so. And 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 uh, Ted Cruz has a, a much better chance at this point of winning the nomination than does Jeb Bush. Now, Chris Christie all of a sudden seems to be coming out of nowhere. Uh, in fact, well, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, some new polls showing that uh, Chris Bridgegate Christie, uh, who is uh, the uh, the Koch brothers kind of guy as they described him some years ago, as we showed at bradblog.com in secretly recorded audio tapes. Uh, Chris Christie, as the, uh, as the conference in Paris was beginning, he was on Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough, who has a four-hour morning program on MSNBC, former Republican congressman. Uh, this, uh, this, this exchange was, was rather extraordinary between uh, Joe Scarborough and Chris Christie, as they were talking about Paris, as they were talking about the climate crisis, uh, and then uh, Halperin, what's this guy's name? Mark Halperin, uh, who's a terrible journalist, one of the worst. Both sides do it, but he jumped in with a, a decent question here. Let's let's play this exchange of uh, Chris Christie on on Morning Joe uh, regarding Paris. Do you believe? In climate change, well, is it occurring? And the climate's is it always changing. The is, climate's it, always changing, and we cannot say, we cannot say that our activity doesn't contribute to changing the climate. What I'm saying is, it's not a crisis. 
The climate's been changing forever, and it will always change. And man will always contribute to it. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that we've had one record-setting year after another as far as 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 far as the the heat on on this planet. So yeah, I don't buy that, Joe. What I do you mean you don't, don't buy it? I just don't buy that's, the fact. That's I don't numbers. buy the fact that it's a crisis. I don't buy the fact that it's a crisis. I just don't. Why not? Because I don't believe it is, and I don't see there's any evidence that it's a crisis. What scientists agree with what? you? I, I, listen, there are a lot of scientists who agree with me that climate change is real, occurs, and that men, men, men and women contribute what to it. What scientists are you relying on to say it's not a crisis? Well, that's my feeling. I didn't say I was relying on any scientists. I don't see evidence. I don't see evidence that it's a crisis. <laughs> he doesn't. That's his feeling. Chris Christie, any scientists who agree with you? Yeah, it's my feeling. It's my feeling that it's not a crisis. I don't see any evidence. And no, by the way, wasn't he the guy who oversaw... Uh, the largest hurricane to oh, ever right. hit uh, the U.S. The, uh, the, the US. physically, geographically yeah. largest hurricane. That would be Superstorm Sandy right. when it hit uh, New Jersey. Smack dab. If you see no evidence of a climate crisis, the fact is it's simply because you don't want to see any evidence of a climate crisis or, frankly, you're a Republican running for president, so you just ain't looking. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. back. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Trying to catch up with a lot today. A lot of uh, bits and pieces that I have been trying to get to for days and days. Um, among them, uh, we're talking about uh, the corporate media uh, and uh, how they, <laughs> you know, how they love to blame everyone but themselves for what's going on, for the madness in our country, for the madness in our globe. How they love to say both sides do it. Oh, we're being fair to both sides. We've got to hold the Republicans and the Democrats equally responsible. No. What you have to do is you have to hold them accountable. You have to hold both parties accountable for what they deserve to be held accountable for. And sometimes one party is just way worse than the other party. Doesn't mean anybody gets a break, but you hold them accountable the right amount, the appropriate amount. And uh, yes, people are angry, as they like to say, or angry at Washington. They are angry at Washington. But Washington doesn't happen in a bubble. Washington happens the way it's reported to be going on. And the way it's often reported to be going on is, oh, gosh, Republicans and Democrats, they just can't get along. You know, never mind that uh, Barack Obama being, uh, at least until recent years, being, you know, one of the worst negotiators ever has given away the store trying to, to Republicans, trying to get along with them. 
But no, they just can't get along. They're both bad. Republicans are, are bad. Democrats are bad. They're all bad. Why can't they get along? Well, one party would like to get along. The other party has a political interest in not getting along no matter what. And that's, of course, the Republican Party. They just won't. They won't even go along with ideas that were their ideas, like Obamacare, which was their idea initially. They can't even agree to that. Not only do they not agree to it, they have been trying to destroy it for I don't know how many years now, five years, even though it was the exact same plan that Mitt Romney came up with in uh, instituted in, in Massachusetts when he was governor. It was created by the Heritage Foundation, the right-wing think tank Heritage Foundation. Anyway, uh, one example of, uh, yet I should say, yet another example of that was, was uh, the other day Hillary Clinton was on with... Uh, Charlie Rose of CBS News. Uh, listen to this little exchange between uh, uh, Rose and, and Hillary Clinton. But you know a lot of people think the biggest problem for America is Washington. That's well, the problem. Well, and that's part of reflected in some of the politics that we see. Yes, that's true. But look at the way our founders set it up. They set up this separation of powers and they made it really difficult to get things done. And some years it's really hard and we're in one of these periods where we have a minority within the other party that doesn't believe in compromise doesn't believe in reaching consensus they but there truly you go attacking them that's not the way to do it no 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 because part of what you have to do is make it clear to everyone else who is in that party that there is room for negotiation so charlie rose attacks hillary clinton for telling the truth for telling the truth about the separation of powers, for telling the truth that, uh, quote, we are in one of those periods where we have a minority within the other party. Not even a minority. It's a majority. She was being kind. Where we have a minority within the other party that doesn't believe in compromise. That is just true. That is just a fact. That doesn't believe in reaching consensus. That is just true. That is just a fact, objectively by any fair measure, as Steve uh, Benin notes over at Matto blog, that is just objectively true. There is a significant contingent among congressional Republicans that does not believe in compromise, does not believe in reaching consensus. He says, I'm hard pressed to imagine any observer of any ide ideological stripe making the case that Clinton was wrong about this. But here you have Cl Charlie Rose of CBS News saying, there you go, you're attacking them. That's not the way to do it, just by telling the truth. That's exactly what Paul Krugman said when he was talking about calling out Republicans when it came to uh, who is to blame for not dealing with the, uh, with the climate crisis. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you tell the truth. In this case, uh, it doesn't matter if what Hillary Clinton said was true. Benin notes that uh, if you ever wondered why so many media professionals cling to the both sides are always to blame facts be damned narrative, that this little exchange offers a powerful hint uh, to acknowledge simple truths about many congressional Republicans sounds like an attack, at least to the corporate media, and therefore must be avoided. You are not supposed to point these things out says Greg Sargent, you are not supposed to point out that structural factors, the combination of a system that requires compromise to function, 
plus in the current situation, a set of incentives that acts actively discourages many House Republicans from compromising with Obama, that that could possibly be the cause of what is happening in Washington. And when he's talking, when Greg Sargent of The Washington Post is talking about uh, those incentives that acts actively discourage many House Republicans from compromising, he's talking, among other things, about the way uh, House districts have been gerrymandered. And on top of that, how much money is now pouring into electoral politics, thanks to uh, the Supreme Court Citizens United decision, in order to make sure that the uh, current status quo remains the status quo, that Republicans are there to break everything. And uh, to break it, frankly, on behalf of corporations. An unprecedented amount of money is now being spent in order to maintain this broken status quo. Corporations love it. They love the, the amount of dark money. Right-wingers in particular love the amount of dark money they are allowed to pour into our elections. And if you're wondering why the media doesn't report on that very often, does not talk about Citizens United very often... It's because they, the media, they are the great beneficiaries of money in politics, of this unprecedented amount of billions and billions and billions of dollars pouring into our elections. Of course they're not going to criticize it. Of course they're not going to criticize the Supreme Court. Of course they're not going to criticize the Republicans for failing to do anything about it because they are, the media are, the recipients of all of this money. Listen to CBS uh, CEO of uh, the CBS Corporation, Les Moonves, just this week. I think this was, uh, well, it was a, a day or two ago at one of these uh, conventions. What was this, uh, Desi Doyle? It was with, a, uh, a UBS uh, Bank Investment Seminar. Okay, an, an investment seminar. The chairman of CBS talking about the advertising climate and how delighted they are with the way things are going with our politics, with our elections in this country. Les Moonves, Les Moonves, chairman of CBS. The advertising climate couldn't be better right now, and I've never seen it this hot for a number of years. Third quarter scatter was phenomenally good, and fourth is even better than that. So as the year ends and we move into 16, guess what? In 16, we have an extra AFC champion playoff game. We have the Super Bowl, and we have a year of political advertising that looks like it's shaping up to be pretty phenomenal. You know, we love having all 16 Republican candidates throwing crap at each other. It's great. The more they spend, the better it is for us. And uh, go Donald. Keep, keep getting out there. And, uh, you know, this is, this is fun. You know, the, uh, you know, watching this, let them spend money on us. And we love having them in, in there. And we're looking forward to a very exciting political year in 16. That's right. When you hear about the amount of money in politics, the biggest beneficiaries of that is Les Moonves, the CEO of, uh, of CBS. It is the media. It is uh, CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. 
That money pouring into politics is spent on them for advertising, and Les Moonves could not be happier about it. So the corporate media is cool with all of this mess. Why are they going to start calling people out? Why are they going to start calling out things like Citizens United for the obscenity that it is? They're not going to. They're not going to. Because what's going on right now works really, really well for them. And that's the corporate media. That's not just the, the right-wing media. We'll get to them in a moment. But just the general corporate, non-right-wing, you know, right -wing, non non-Fox News media. They love the status quo. They love all of this nonsense. They love the fact that this country is broken. They love the fact that our electoral system is now broken. Corporate media is cool with it. Now, the right wing, the right wing, the right wing media, they have their own special place in hell here. Because guys like Donald Trump could not be rising if it were not for the right wing media. Now, I've talked about how they, he couldn't be rising if it weren't for the media as a whole, for the media not calling out uh, one party being more insane than the other. But the, the right wing really does, the Fox News really does have their own special place in hell. As Josh Marshall spoke about uh, a few days ago, wrote about a few days ago. Uh, how the lies, uh, this, uh, this this uh, piece, this essay he wrote, Trump uh has his uh, Riefenstahl, Lenny Riefenstahl, referring to the Ger German Nazi propagandist uh, who helped prop up, prop up Adolf Hitler. So uh, the right has that. Donald Trump has that in Fox News. And he was uh, talking about how uh, yesterday uh, he says he was watching Fox News, a House Republican uh, had announced that the U.S. now knows that ISIS has tried to have operatives come into the United States through its refugee program. In the report on this, the Fox News reporter went on to say, simply in passing, that this was how the Paris attackers, plural, entered France, falsely as refugees for those November 13 attacks. But the fact is, that's not true. He writes, questions were raised about a single attacker that didn't hold up. There were never, ever any questions about multiple attackers coming into the country as refugees. Indeed, he notes they were French and Belgian nationals. He's giving a number of these examples of how Fox News uh, props up the right, props up uh, Donald Trump. He says these might seem like small or picayune examples, but they are constant and they build up to a whole tapestry of falsehoods that combined with incitement and hysteria create a mental world in which Donald Trump's mounting volume of racist incitement is just not at all surprising. Really? It's not at all surprising? You guys seem surprised. Even Josh Marshall seems surprised about Donald Trump's rise. We weren't. We told you on the day he got into the race. I said, uh, I think the words I used were, Donald Trump has just blown up the Republican uh, uh, primary race. And that he is likely to do very, very well because he is channeling the Republican id, which has been uh, uh, created, this incitement and hysteria that Josh Marshall talks about, that has been created over the past uh, decade or more and that the corporate media has been afraid to call out in any event now josh says it's not all that surprising 
that uh, these are false links uh, concerning the ISIS and, and Paris and uh, refugees and all of that. He says they are the false links that piece together the chain of distortion and lies that would simply collapse without them, that would collapse uh, if they didn't keep pumping out these lies. Oh, yeah, it was uh, there's ISIS trying to get, come in across the border down in Texas, and thousands and thousands of refugees are pouring in from ISIS. And, oh, there was thousands and thousands of uh, Muslims celebrating in New Jersey after 9-11. Josh goes on. Josh Marshall says, I know I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to noting the factual shortcomings of Fox News, but this is why this isn't really about Trump. Trump's genius, and I don't use that word loosely, is that he is an intuitive. He can feel the public mood in ways that none of these others can. He's talking about the other GOP nominee uh, candidates. I don't think Trump began his campaign with really any of this. Mexicans were his thing, but even that was largely a shtick. Terrorism and Muslim hating wasn't his thing, but like a gifted jazz musician, Trump can pick up the rhythms of whatever group he's sitting in with, adapt, improvise, and take them further. Yes, he's almost a Coltrane of hate and incitement. But it's not about Trump says Marshall. It's about his supporters. A big chunk of the Republican base is awash in racism and xenophobic hysteria, and this is the food that they feed upon every day. It's a societal sickness, and we can't ignore it. I agree it is a societal sickness. But it's also about the media not uh, playing their role in calling out that sickness, and calling out that sickness long ago as they should have. Um, now, it's kind of late. Now, it's kind of late. The media hadn't called it out. The Republican Party itself hadn't called it out because they benefited from it. And now, the Republican Party is beginning to freak out about their own Frankenstein's monster that they created. Robert Costa and Tom Hamburger report in the Washington Post that Republican officials and uh, leading figures in the party are now preparing for the possibility of a brokered convention. As Donald Trump continues to sit atop the polls and the presidential race, more than 20 top officials convened on Monday for a dinner held by the RNC chairman, Reince Priebus, where the prospect of Trump uh, nearing next year's nomination convention in Cleveland with a significant number of delegates dominated the discussion, according to five different people familiar with the meeting. Several longtime power brokers argued that if the controversial billionaire storms through the primaries, the party's establishment must lay the groundwork for a floor fight at the convention in which the GOP's mainstream wing could coalesce around an alternative. The people said people familiar with this uh with this powwow uh republican majority leader mitch mcconnell was there along with uh reince priebus they did acknowledge to the group that a deadlocked convention is indeed something the party should prepare for both institutionally at the rnc and politically at levels in the coming months now why would that be why should they prepare for that the fact of the matter is Donald Trump is winning in all of the early primary states. He's winning in all of the uh, national polls, and he's winning by a lot. So what do they mean? 
What are they talking about that we should prepare for a, uh, a, a, a contested, a floor debate, a contested election? How so? Why? Who? Upon leaving the meeting, several attendees said that they would soon share with one another memos about delegate allocation in each state and research what happened at the 1976 convention, the last time that the GOP gathered without a clear nominee, and that was when they had the, uh, uh, the floor fight, the contested election uh, between Ronald Reagan, the, the no, uh, contested nominating convention uh, between Ronald Reagan and Gerald Ford, which Gerald Ford ended up coming out the victor and then losing in November to uh, Jimmy Carter in 1976. That was the last time something even close to this happened where you had a contested uh, convention. But that may be what we are looking at in 2016. And boy, corporate mainstream media is going to be happy about that. That's for sure. That will work out nicely for uh, folks in the news media. And all of this is kind of funny because all of this comes about after the uh, the 2012 election, which was when they invented the clown car uh, to refer to the Republican Party and the way week after week there was a different front runner, each crazier and loonier than the next. It became known as the Republican clown car. And so they they uh, went to great measures to keep that from happening this year. The Republican Party did limit the number of of debates, make sure that they got their nominee in place earlier, hold their uh, their, their convention about a month earlier to avoid embarrassing themselves. How's that working out for your Republican Party? Not well. As Politico is now reporting, the Ku Klux Klan is using Donald Trump as a talking point in its outreach efforts. Stormfront, the most prominent American white supremacist website, is upgrading its servers in part to cope with a Trump traffic spike. And former Louisiana rep David Duke, who was at one point the Grand Wizard of the KKK, he reports that the uh, that the businessman man has given more Americans cover that Donald Trump has given more Americans cover to speak out loud about white nationalism than at, than at any time since David Duke's own political campaigns back in the 90s. As hate group monitors at the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League warn that Trump's rhetoric is conducive to anti-Muslim violence. White nationalist leaders are capitalizing on his candidacy to invigorate and expand their movement. <laughs> uh, Politico goes on to, to quote a Stormfront founder, Don Black, yeah, founder of this uh, white nationalist group is named Black. Anyway, demoralization has been the biggest enemy and Trump is changing all of that. He's certainly creating a movement that will continue independently of him if he does fold at some point. Remind, remember, this is the standard bearer for the Republican Party. Bloomberg reminds us that uh, two-thirds of likely 2016 primary voters favor Donald Trump's call to have a temporary ban on Muslims from entering the U.S., while more than a third say it, is, uh, it makes them more likely to vote for him. That's a lot of people. 
Bloomberg Politics uh, uh, Pulse poll uh, can carried out an online survey uh, on Tuesday showing that the support at 37 percent among all likely general election voters. 37 percent support among all general election voters for the controversial proposal put forward by Donald Trump to ban all Muslims entering into this country. Which, by the way, even though uh, the Ku Klux Klan uh, obviously uh, supports it, the far-right leader, the far-right leader of the far-right National Front Party in Paris, Marine Le Pen, said that Donald Trump's proposals to prevent Muslims from visiting or immigrating to the U.S., that was too extreme. She thinks, she says, have you ever heard me say something like that? Le Pen was uh, asked during an interview uh, on on a French TV program, according to the New York Times. She said, I defend the French people, all French people in France, regardless of their origins, regardless of their religion. Le Pen is known for provocative statements about, quote, illegals and about Islam. In October, she went on trial in France on charges of inciting racial hatred for comparing Muslims preying on on public streets to the Nazi occupation. But even she says Donald Trump has gone too far. Oh, I wouldn't do that. I, I can't go that far. Holy cow. Man. What the hell is happening here? And why didn't the mainstream corporate media see this coming? The way we saw it coming. Well, remember back in uh, I think it was the uh, the late '60s, William F. Buckley, the, uh, the 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 godfather of the conservative movement, at least in journalism, he kicked out the there racists, is, yeah, the there, John Birch Society. He repudiated them and he made them. He revoked their social license. There is to be nobody. Apart. There is nobody doing that anymore in the right. Republican Party. And even though they condemn Donald Trump or they are they, they his plan is too extreme to keep out all the Muslims, they still say. That they will support whoever is the nominee for president uh, that comes out of that convention. They will support Donald Trump, they are now saying. I don't believe any of the uh, current 15 candidates running for the uh, trying to get that nomination on the Republican side have said, I will not support Donald Trump if he becomes the nominee. The Speaker of the U.S. House, Paul Ryan, says, I will support whoever it is that the Republicans nominate. The uh, majority leader in the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell, has said, I will support whoever it is that the Republicans nominate. So who are they going to nominate? Right now, it looks like they're going to nominate Donald Trump, even though they're talking about the fact that, uh, well, it's going to be a contested convention. Who? Who are they going to contest it with? Jeb Bush? He's uh, absolutely plummeted. Ted Cruz, he's as bad as Donald Trump. Marco Rubio, he's beginning to phase. Chris Christie is now beginning to rise. What? Yes. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, uh, who doesn't see any climate crisis, who sees no evidence of crisis, who uh, doesn't speak to any scientists, but just feels like the globe doesn't have a problem. He is now surged into second place in New Jersey among New I'm sorry, in New Hampshire among uh, New Hampshire Republicans in a new poll that has just come out. But he is still way behind Donald Trump. Donald Trump has 27 percent support in New Hampshire. Chris Christie is now second place, but he only has 12 percent. Followed by uh, Marco Rubio with 11 and Ted Cruz with 10. 
But uh, Christie has uh, begun to rise after he had been in the basement, wasn't even allowed, uh, almost not allowed in the uh, main debate, uh, main GOP debate uh, table, had to sit at the kiddie table almost. Maybe it'll be uh, Chris Christie. Maybe he will arise to take down Donald Trump. I doubt it. Some quick perspective before we get to a break. It is worth noting that uh, millions more Americans support Bernie Sanders than support Donald Trump. So keep that in mind, that no matter how much noise uh, Donald Trump is given, he is still uh, does not have as much support as Bernie Sanders. Trump's level of national support is at 30 uh, percent among GOP primary voters. According to uh, this is from uh, the average calculated by Real Clear Politics. While Sanders remains in second place among the Democratic primary voters with uh, 30.8% average level of support, but Will Bunch over at Philadelphia Daily News points out that there are considerably more Democrats than Republicans. Now, you wouldn't be blamed for not noticing that, given the amount of free coverage granted to Donald Trump versus everyone else in the race, particularly the Democrats. Uh, But you know what? To some extent, that's what the Democratic establishment apparently wanted by not scheduling debates when anybody might watch them. The Tyndall report, which tracks coverage on nightly uh, network newscasts, found that Trump has received more than a quarter of all presidential race coverage and more than the entire Democratic field combined. Hillary Clinton enjoys the most voter support by far of any candidate at this time, according to the polls. But she's received the second most network news coverage. Sanders, who is supported by more voters than Trump, has received just 10 minutes of network airtime throughout the entire campaign. Network airtime, which translates to one twenty third of Trump's campaign coverage. Nonetheless, uh, horrified observers, uh, Travis Geddes notes over at Raw Story, might take some comfort at least in realizing that Sanders, the Democratic Socialist, has earned more voters, more voter support than Trump, despite the way this picture has been painted for you. But all of that said, while I've called out the GOP for long enabling the fear and nativism that Trump is uh, simply reflecting, not creating, just reflecting it, I've also warned uh, giddy Democrats to be careful what they wish for. I have a feeling they're starting to do just that. As Trump is becoming the likely nominee, barring any chicanery, at least from the Republican Party itself, or their voters suddenly coming to their senses, which does not seem very likely, if he does get that nomination, while the uh, knee-jerk reaction might be glee from some Democrats The fact is, at that point, I know how easy it is to game this electoral system pretty much to any outcome that you want, how hard it is to stop it, how hard it is to do anything about it, even if gaming is discovered. But even if the electoral system could be overseen by the public and therefore was able to run perfectly, the fact is, even if it all goes well, if Donald Trump gets the nomination... Well, Democrats might be delighted about that. In fact, at that point, given the way the media have allowed the nation to become ginned up at this point with fear and terror from absolute stuff and nonsense. At that point, once Donald Trump gets the nomination, if he then does get the nomination, don't be too uh, excited about it, Democrats, because at that point, you would just be one well-timed terror attack away from a President Donald Trump. Trump. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast with Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I don't normally do this, uh, but I want to run this complete segment because I think uh, over the past week, uh, this just kind of wraps everything up together. This was... uh, Chris Hayes uh, on uh, on his show, I I believe last night. I want to play this in full today. I want to tell you a story. So uh, a few weeks ago, a bunch of people started tweeting me an article from a right wing website called Pajamas Media. Now it's a site that spends a whole lot of time churning out anti Muslim stuff. And the headline of this article said. MSNBC's no-fly list is Islamophobia poster boy arrested in Turkey as part of ISIS cell. With that picture, it's a screenshot from a show I did on my previous program, Up, in 2013, when we told the story of U.S. Air Force vet Sadiq Long, a Muslim who was living abroad and barred from flying back to visit his dying mother because he was on the no-fly list. We interviewed him and told the story of the bewildering and confusing process for getting oneself removed from the no-fly list, and eventually he was allowed to fly home and visit his mother. Now, this new article cited U.S. and Turkish officials to say that Long had been arrested earlier this month near the Turkey-Syria border as members of an ISIS cell. When I saw this article, I I had a few reactions. I will be totally honest and say that my first was, this is not good. I wondered if I had been duped by someone who, it turned out, was a crypto-jihadi in waiting all along. My second reaction was that even if the story was true, and maybe it was, the point about the basic constitutional unfairness of the no-fly list still stood. I mean, if the government has enough to charge someone, they should charge him. But putting someone on a secret list that curtails their movement and rights without recourse is pretty clearly unjust. And in fact, it just so happens, that's precisely the argument that basically everyone on the right has been making for the last week in response to calls to ban people on that no-fly list or the government terror list from purchasing guns. And my third reaction was skepticism. I mean, it does seem kind of weird that someone would take his wife and daughter to go join ISIS. And why was only pajamas media reporting it and reporting it with unnamed officials? Also. Turkey isn't exactly a bastion of justice and due process. It's a place that had detained a vice journalist on trumped-up charges, and where a man is currently right now facing a criminal trial for comparing President Tayyip Erdogan to Gollum from Lord of the Rings. I am not making that up. So, before we responded, we set about trying to get to the bottom of what actually happened. That was not the approach of others who ran with the story, including Red State, Jihad Watch, Front page, Mediaite, Real Clear Politics, The Daily Caller, and Fox News. A local station in Oklahoma led their nightly news with the report. And now they won't let me get on a passenger aircraft. A native Oklahoman living in Qatar who fought back when he was placed on the no-fly list is now accused in connection with a terror group. He was arrested reportedly for trying to join ISIS. We're following this developing story. Perhaps by this point in the tale, you won't be surprised to learn the story is bunk. One part of it is true. Long and his family are being detained by Turkish authorities. But a State Department official confirmed to Long's family and to The Intercept, who did fantastic reporting on this, it is not terrorism related. We are aware of Mr. Long's case and are not aware he has been formally charged with a crime. In fact, according to The Intercept, Long and his family are being detained on immigration violations when he attempted to enter Turkey seeking to work. 
And get this, his detention may well have been triggered by, drum roll, the fact he was on the U.S. no-fly list to begin with. Long's American lawyer says Sadiq and his family were detained by Turkey because they are all on the no-fly list. This is what accounts for the family's detention in Turkey. Sadiq Long, who served his country for more than 10 years in the armed services, was first tagged with suspicion by a secretive no-fly list due clearly, at least in part, to his faith. And it was that suspicion, plus his faith, that made him a plausible target to be smeared as a man who just up and joined the death cult ISIS. And now his name appears next to ISIS in literally hundreds of articles and tweets. His face is under an ISIS headline on Mediaite and those other sites, basically forever, unless those outlets show a little bit of contrition and change it. Daily Caller today acknowledged that the Fed say there are no terror ties but the outlet characterized the intercepts reporting as a new detail. Folks, this is what Islamophobia means. It means a taint of suspicion that attaches to millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people who practice a faith because of the acts of a few of their co-religionists. Here in America, in our history, we've seen Jews decried as communists, subversives, anarchists, and a menace that will infiltrate the state and the media from the inside. We've seen Catholics decried as fundamentally hostile to American values, incapable of assimilating, and treacherously taking their orders from a foreign power. Now it is Muslims who find themselves vilified. The very definition of bigotry is taking the actions or traits of a few people, of a race or faith or creed, and generalizing to all of them. American politics and, frankly, American media are currently in the grip of a deep-seated bigotry. Donald Trump sure as heck isn't helping, but let's not fool ourselves into thinking he is the cause, because Donald Trump had nothing to do with this story. And I'm sure the countless editors and writers who pass it along don't think of themselves as bigots, but they unambiguously aided the worst kind of bigotry. And every last one of them should be ashamed. Indeed they should. That was sent to me by my friend D.R. Tucker who uh, is a blogger over at Washington Monthly. He sent that to me and Chris Hayes. Uh, and to Chris, he said, thank you for standing up for common decency tonight. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that's becoming all too uncommon decency. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. We will be back with you soon. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. Send me email at bradcast at bradblog.com. And I think that's it. You can download our show if you missed any portion at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,